Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Friday, November 6th, 2020. I am John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, Executive Editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Associate Editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. And Senior Writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. Uh, there is a new president elect of the United States. It maybe is not formal, but it is happening. It is time for the people within the sound of my voice, if they are laboring under the either illusion, delusion, or angry determination to believe that this is not happening, come to grips with reality. That's all I'm going to say, except we're probably going to say a lot more about this. Um, I spent a lot of time last night talking to uh, constitutional scholar friends and legal scholars about the legal questions in Pennsylvania regarding the count. And it was very interesting. I, I read the Samuel Alito's concur, uh, uh, concurrence that... The count should go forward, but that the ballots that are postmarked by Election Day but received in the three days after, as the Pennsylvania Supreme Court suggested, that because he there was no time to really consider the constitutional issues involved, that those ballots should be segregated, they should be put to one side, and that in case they needed, there needed to be a national question was going to be raised by the results of the election. Uh, according to the New York Times just now, the count that has Biden ahead does not contain a single one of those ballots. Those ballots, the ones that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court said could be received after the 3rd of November, so long as they were, between the 3rd of November and today, the 6th of November, so long as they were postmarked, are segregated and are not included in the count that we have now, according to which Joe Biden is now ahead, I think, by 7,000 votes at this moment with, you know, I don't know how many thousand left to count. So... In the absence of a recount that would reverse these numbers, uh, a recount of the sort that we have never seen a recount reverse a number as large at this moment as like five or 7,000, and it will probably get to 40,000 or something like that by the time the official count is over, it is the end of the road. I mean, you could spend all the day, all the time you want talking about Pennsylvania. Joe Biden is ahead in Arizona by over 50,000 votes now with more than 90% in. Nevada is almost... Nevada! Whatever. God, <laughs> you are going to get this right. This is going to be like it's the camera. four years and I haven't yet. So let's not, anyway, Nevada, Nevada, whatever you want to call it. Sorry, John. Ralston. Not you, John. Um, is ahead by... Uh, well, it looks like 8,000 votes, and the rest is all in Cook County, which is Las Vegas, which is expected to favor Democrats. Pennsylvania Clark could go County. Republican. Pennsylvania could go Republican. Clark, Clark, Clark County. County. Cook County is Clark where, County. They, I'm sorry. Yeah, where County. they stole the yeah. election for John Kennedy. Cook right, County. Right. Uh-huh. There you go. It's Thank actually you. an illusion. Um, but yeah, both those states are likely going to go Democratic, so Pennsylvania wouldn't even matter. It's just icing on the cake. 
Because you're counting Georgia. No. no. You're not counting Georgia. No, it, Georgia's probably going to go to a recount, too, because it's so, so narrow. Okay, but, you're not um, even counting Georgia, but what? what not even counting Georgia. So just, you're saying you wouldn't taking mean, Wisconsin, Michigan, Arizona, and with Nevada, you get to 270. Nevada. No. I'm just going to do it out of spite. I know. Obviously, you're just doing this. You're just doing this to irritate. I'm the, from New Jersey. The Adelsons. There's very little I can do about my Adelsons of 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 Nevada. Okay. Um. Okay, so he doesn't even need Pennsylvania, is what you're saying. Uh, fine. You so, get to 270 without it. Yes, yeah, so you get to 270. Was it 270 or 269? I mean, <laughs> there was some point at which the 269 scenario was kind of back in play, uh, where it would be 269, 269. It would then go into the House of Representatives, and I don't know. Nope. If Donald okay. Trump win North Carolina, Georgia, and Pennsylvania... Yeah, Joe Biden would have exactly 270 electoral votes. You know, the truth is that would be the best possible outcome here. Let's let's put it this way: it's like it's like Biden's already going to enter office as an incredibly weak, you know. And so, you know, since we don't really want him to be able to, you know, work his will or whatever, the weaker he is, the better. But no. anyway, it doesn't even matter because Biden has won Pennsylvania. The vote count now has him out of reach of a recount number reversing the election and the ballot, the chat, the ballots that the first serious legal challenge. There were two major legal challenges before the election regarding regarding mail in ballots. One was in Wisconsin and one was in Pennsylvania. And uh, the Wisconsin effort was rejected wholly by the court and the Pennsylvania uh, the Pennsylvania court was not, uh, you know, the Supreme Court did actually rule that the Pennsylvania decision was constitutional, uh, or, or they ruled that it should go forward. And then Alito said, we better, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Noah, we're on, we're on, we're sort of on a Zoom video thing and Noah needed to, um, needed to my, shoot my one of his kids away. That into was the room like, like Kramer. It was really good. It was like you weren't here, but it was almost like the the guy in South Korea when his daughter danced into the room behind, you know, on the camera. But the the expression you needed, the what was funny about that, of course, was that the guy uh, Kelly, the professor in South Korea, remained totally poker faced while she was behind him dancing, and Noah was the opposite of poker faced. Well, if I was on cable news at this moment, I would have been eating a. More. Yes. But, yeah. So it would have been much more state. Right. Okay. Anyway. Okay. But I'm right. just going to finish this, and I'm going to be done. So the supreme there, there. One of the reasons that that Pennsylvania was a focus was that there was a there remains a constitutional question about the Pennsylvania Supreme Court's decision that is now moot because if he if Biden prevails without those ballots being counted then it doesn't matter what happens to those ballots. They can be counted. They cannot be counted. They can be lit on fire. Every vote should count so they could be counted, whatever. Biden wins without them. They are no longer a national question, and the election is over. Listen, I, I know this is not going to be a popular take. I'm always good for an unpopular take. I know a lot of our listeners are in mourning today for the president. You shouldn't be. This is glorious. The president has lost. 
but he has lost by an extremely narrow margin. He was expected to do a lot better. Democrats are in mourning today because they perceive this election in which they have held the House and won the White House as a loss, as they should, because it's an ideological repudiation of the progressive left. Republicans gained seats in the House unexpectedly. They're likely to hold the Senate unexpectedly. They were expected to lose legislative chambers to the tune of 10 to even 14 legislative chambers across the country. Not only did they hold every single one, they gained some ahead of redistricting. Joe Biden is already retooling the transition in anticipation of the fact that Republicans will have a veto over who serves in his cabinet. Republicans can thwart every single progressive agenda item while getting almost none of the blame for it and are very well positioned to retake both chambers of Congress in 2022. Here is a I know stat. this is disappointing for Republicans for yeah. whom real Trumpism has never been tried. But guess what? This is a victory okay. for the Republican Party, a repudiation of progressivism. Yes, the repudiation of Donald Trump and Trumpism too. But guess what? Republicans are going to be in the driver's seat in a way they, they couldn't possibly have imagined they would be for, for four years heading into this election. Abe, here's something that I learned from Matt Continetti's spectacular column today in the Washington Free Beacon, which I commend to everybody. The last time that a first-term president entered the White House without the Senate was 116 years ago. 116 years ago. But this means institutionally and in Washington terms, Biden enter, will enter office as the weakest uh, president in American modern American history. Those kind of circumstances that the ones that Noah is rightly um, uh, describing as um, excellent for conservatives are no longer at all what uh, partisans uh, consider uh, when thinking about their position in in what's going on. Right? It is literally about winning winning the new. It, winning the news cycle and thoroughly destroying the 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 enemy the it's not about um gridlock is sort of you know um the opposite of what any of what anyone wants these days because th that it's 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 you know you can't vanquish anyone okay what song opens trump rallies has opened trump rallies <laughs> or concluded trump rallies since 2015 do you know what song that is so you can't Stone. always yeah, get yeah, what you yeah, want right, by yeah. the Rolling Stones. You can't always get what you want, mm -hmm. but if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need. So you may want Donald Trump to have a second term as president. Or per Abe's formulation, you just want Democrats to be owned. Right. right. But we might have just gotten what we needed. That, I think, is what, what, what Noah is saying including a rejection of the notion that what matters more than anything is owning the libs. Now, I love owning the libs. I came to my political majority at the University of Chicago where some genius kid, no one knows who it was, started something called the Bourgeois Capitalist Running Dog Lackey Society in which he proposed that the poor should be used as firewood. And people on campus reared in outrage and horror at the 
at what at this idea as though it had been proposed seriously and as though it had not been created this billboard this thing that was like slapped on telephone poles and stapled to to you know community bulletin boards to get them to react exactly as they did this was a prank that i enjoyed immensely i was 18 years old i rem- i remember it you know vividly 42 years later um, I love owning the libs. We all love owning the libs. Owning the libs is not how you run the country, and it is not how you get your policy prescriptions through to the country, and it is not how you prevent their policies from passage and from you know doing their damage to the country. In fact, you could make the argument that owning the libs is the reverse because it distracts you from the very difficult and complicated task of doing exactly that, which is preventing the bad stuff and doing what you can in a real world context to push forward what you think is some of the good stuff. And that is a hard, slow, painstaking process in which you never get what you want. You never, you get some of what you want, but you'll never get everything you want. And maybe you never should get everything you want precisely because you create the conditions for a gigantic backlash from the people whom you have stuffed into a garbage can. And they don't want to be in the garbage can and they will explode outward. And that is part of the story of this election. Joe Biden is going to end up with 80 million votes for having run the most anodyne, presidential campaign in the history of the planet because he spent the democratic party and liberals spent four years plotting their long simmering complicated revenge for trump and the way trump came at them and wanting to own them and 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 doing all of that Trump did not was never conciliatory. He was he never tried to kind of uh, you know uh, co-opt them or you know or or bring them along or whatever. He was you're the enemy. I'm your enemy. You're my enemy. I'm going to do whatever I can to get you. You're going to do whatever you can to get me. And you know what? They spent four years trying seventy five thousand different ways to get him. And impeachment didn't work. And this didn't work, and that didn't work, and emoluments didn't work, and people raging on Morning Joe didn't work, and that didn't work. But you know what worked? They harnessed 80 million people. Not, I mean, okay, so as I said the other day, like you can, you could anticipate that, you know, anyone with a D after their name would have gotten 65 million votes, right? 80 million people to say, I don't want you to be president anymore. I have no idea who this guy is. I don't know. He's 200 and he's 500 years old and he can barely construct an English sentence. And he's, I prefer him to you. But they don't prefer Democrats. Right. Well, they don't prefer yeah. progressives. They, a lot of these voters turned out to vote for Republicans in places where Donald Trump, Republicans now have a trifecta in New Hampshire, which they didn't have before, just a legislative game they didn't expect. Donald Trump lost New Hampshire by eight points. All those people came out to vote against Donald Trump, but not 
to vote against Republicans. Well, and there's there's an interesting way in which um, we've talked a lot about how elections have been uh, local elections have been nationalized. But in a weird way, you could see some of that as and I'm sure COVID plays into this uh, at the local level. And even that that includes state races and, and gubernatorial races. People actually did vote locally. They did. They resisted the urge to nationalize those elections. Uh, we see this most starkly in Maine, obviously, which had you know tons of money thrown at a at a at the at Sarah Gideon who was challenging Susan Collins and and the, lo- the the ticket splitting which is always pretty common in Maine was nevertheless you know notable and that was a, that's obviously occurring uh, down ballot all over the place so yeah it was a very strong reaction to the idea that if you're against if you don't like Trump you also you, you've embraced the progressive or the Democratic Party agenda um, Susan Collins against whom a uh, hundred million dollars was raised. $100 million in the state of Maine. Susan Collins won that race by nine points. Nine points. Every time we look at this, we see this, and it's a very interesting question now about political money going forward. The hundred We talked about this before. The $100 million for Jamie Harrison, he lost by 13 points. $100 million for Amy McGrath, she lost by 17 points. Close to 100 million for Teresa Greenfield in Iowa. She lost by, I don't know what it was, seven, eight, something like that, nine. <laughs> um, uh, Steve Daines, $56 million in um, Montana. Uh, uh, Steve Bullock spent $56 million in Montana, a state with a cow and a, and a dog voting. Fifty-six million dollars, and 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 Steve Daines, who was a very colorless senator, prevailed over a very colorful and interesting politician. Um, the Democratic machine was incredibly powerful at all levels. Raised money like we've never seen money raised before at all levels, right? But it only worked against Trump. That and Cory Gardner. Right. Although, 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 again, you don't know if the money you don't. I mean, Cory Gardner was faced down by in a, he he. That is a state that has gone totally red. He won in incredibly favorable circumstances. He is a very good politician, but uh, you know, he had the state's you know most successful governor running against him. And he, you know, and and, and in, in a state that is now, I don't know what, what I, I don't even know what the number is in Colorado. Let me look it up, like how how, how much Biden won by in Colorado. Uh, I mean, you know, it's like it doesn't even, I mean, yeah, Biden won by 13 in Colorado. So, you know, this is not a red, this is not even a, you know, there, there was a point at which it was, it was a, it was a toss up. It was a. You know, it was a battleground state, and then it was a toss-up state, and now it's a red state because everyone's stoned all the time, basically. Well, that that's going to follow for the rest of the country, John, because apparently all the drug ballot initiatives were also wildly successful. Which yes, I think also I speaks to the nation's yeah. mood at this moment. Right. Um, so the real question here is: we 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 here at the Commentary Magazine podcast. And at Commentary Inc., which is a 501c3, and please start thinking about your charitable giving at the end of the year. I'm going to be pestering you about it on the podcast here, uh, you know, in a, in a couple of weeks. 
but um you know we we do not endorse candidates we do not endorse parties we are conservatives and we are we it is our purpose to advance conservative ideas and the conservative policy agenda as we understand it and the degree to which the conversation may now start revolving literally around how much fealty people need to express to a candidate who has lost fair and square, who has lost fair and square, and who, for his own reasons, will not be able to tolerate this and will want to pretend that it didn't happen, uh, is a is a test of whether the Republican Party is a Parties are a couple of things. They're a vehicle for winning elections. That's ultimately what they are. They are they are a sort of coalition for winning elections, and now broadly understood now that is on the rightward side of the general ideological perspective. But they're a coalition for winning elections, and then more broadly, it is a kind of vehicle for the promotion of the right of center ideas that would <clears throat> allow that coalition to win elections. Donald Trump has introduced a note that has been present in politics, but in a, in a very extreme degree, which is that it is a it, his effort is to convert the Republican Party into a party of one, and to make it a cult of personality. It was always it's always implicitly whenever anyone has the White House, the White House is a cult of personality, and the party is always tempted by the cult of personality. But that is what the Trump administration is, and it is what Trump wants. And there is a, now a superstructure that has been built around him and around the White House and around the party that both serves that and profits from it. Both media institutions and political action organizations and grifters of all kinds. And question is whether the party will, re- will return itself in fast order to being the vehicle to win elections and to promote conservative ideas or how much it is going to find itself in this weird period stained by the demand that that everyone continue to bend the knee to the deposed leader okay and i here's my here's my ultimate question to you abe we're republicans we're not republicans we're conservatives we're not conservatives Americans, generally speaking, do not like losers. And I would say right of center Americans who believe in competition and believe in sort of, you know, um, manly showdowns and all of this, uh, believe in good sportsmanship and they, and, and someone being, you know, someone winning fair and square and other people coming off the field. You don't want to be somebody who walks around saying, I was gypped. This is unfair. Wah, bah, right? Like that's like the sore loser man posters after uh, the interregnum in 2020 with Gore and Lieberman being turned into sore loser man. How how twi- how much do you think our friends who you know are really committed to this narrative that that the it's all voter fraud and all this? Doesn't this come into conflict with this gut feeling about like you lost, go away? Okay, no, it doesn't. No, okay. no because I, I look. I mean, you describe a landscape that I think is no longer quite there. One of the things that that Trump imported 
and to the right um, that was sort of um, characteristic almost exclusively on the left was um, this pension for grievance um, and whininess. And that is no that is no longer at all looked down upon um, um, as a I mean, except for, you know, sort of the, the on the right, if you're not in the Trump base, it's, of course, it still is. But um, if you are uh, on the Trump train, um, that is now that is that is part of the deal. That is part of the package. You 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 want your issues. If, if you can't win the next best thing or maybe as good a thing is to be able to complain about how you were how you were gypped. Yeah, belligerent victimhood is yeah. going to be the kind of takeaway from the Trump years, I think. Um, and that's a bad thing. If you're conservative, that's a bad thing because that was actually, it's it's a strength of the conservative argument about the victimology and how corrosive it is that we now need to rebuild on the right and say, yeah, look, we th- this isn't how we do things. We don't, we don't, right. we don't play that way. Okay. Christine, as a student of this, as a, as a student of this matter, I'm about to raise to you. Stacey Abrams ran for governor of Georgia. She lost by 50,000 votes. It is her was her contention that she didn't really lose the election. Through a combination of 11 different things, including historical racism, voter suppression, however you want to define voter suppression, and this and that, and the behavior of the Secretary of State of Georgia, and blah, 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 The alignment blah. of the stars must right. have been in there too, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and various people saying, it, it being now the implicit understanding of the Democratic Party that Stacey Abrams should be governor of Georgia and it was stolen from her. Okay? So uh, we, other people, people on the right have been making fun of her for two years. Making fun of this idea, saying this is ridiculous, she can't move on, like, what you know, what what is this, blah, blah. Those people, they're just going to turn around and then do for Trump what they were making fun of Stacey Abrams for doing? Yeah, they should not. And and Hillary Clinton is the other uh, excellent. I mean, just just a few weeks ago, she told the Wall Street Journal the election was stolen from her. So, yeah, we and, and I think anyone who who does that is is revealing their hypocrisy. Um if what Stacey Abrams and Hillary Clinton have spent the last couple of years claiming is wrong, which I believe it is, then what Trump is doing and what he's asking his supporters to do is also wrong. This is this is how the system is supposed to work. That It undermines the legitimacy in the minds of Americans of how their system is working. And it's corrosive regardless of whether you have a D or an R after your name. Okay, but I mean, there are true believers in that exculpatory persecution complex. Um, but for most people it's a it's a tool it's a useful tool it's a mobilization um it's it helps mobilize your your coalition and it has become less useful in the last 48 hours progressives are currently engaged it's 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 fascinating to watch them talk about an election in which they held the house and won the white house like it's a loss in part because it is it is a repudiation of the kind of progressivism that they leaned very heavily into social progressivism, redistribution of social goods over the course of 2020, a profound mistake. And they recognize it as a profound mistake. And people like Stacey Abrams are representative of that kind of progressivism that the party thought was an asset. And they now recognize it as a liability. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the future of the party is going to be Stacey Abrams' party. Just like Hillary Clinton is not the future of the the Democratic Party, and it was pretty obvious that she wasn't going to be the future of the Democratic Party a minute after she lost. Okay, but here's what's interesting. Okay, here's what's interesting, though. 
What does this election show about Hillary Clinton's claims that the election was stolen from her? Her claim is the election was stolen from her because of the Electoral College. I mean, in other words, she got three million more votes than Trump, so she should be president. And the Electoral College was the thief, this whole system where we have this terrible system of the Electoral College. But she also blames Joe the Biden right. has Joe just won the, the Electoral College. Guess what? Like every other president who wins, he won the Electoral College because instead of staying around whining about not winning the Electoral College, they went about trying to win the Electoral College. And they don't care about the popular vote. They don't care. Look, Joe Biden is now, on, as I said before, is on track to having a margin as a as a popular vote leader of a sort that we are unlikely to see again in another for another decade or more because Barack Obama versus John McCain had vote totals we didn't see again until now pretty close so um you know the, the, that was an exceptional election this is an exceptional election there was high republican turnout and unbelievable democratic turnout and a lot of independent turnout. And so Hillary Clinton can now go and retire and shut her mouth and be the loser, whiny, third-rate person that she always was, who married well for her career and married badly for her soul and for her pride and for her emotional stability. Um it is enough. She, you know, just as Trump is done, she should be done. Her argument has been demonstrated as being illegitimate. Her argument is illegitimate. Everybody else won the Electoral College before her. And now Joe Biden has won the Electoral College and the popular vote. So congratulations well, to him. One more point on that, because she does often also blame the Russians and a Russian conspiracy against her. And that is to your other point about how anyone who criticized her for that um, should similarly criticize at the conspiracy theorizing that's going on in Trump land right now, because again, both that's, it's the same impulse. It's an understandable impulse. It is a very, uh, it's an impulse that's detrimental to how our system ought to work. Listen, it's awful. Like you think about what these people go through, like the, the, the kind of repudiation that is, that is, uh, that is presented by the loss of an election I mean, there, there's nothing like it on earth. And, you know, if you even have a, uh, you know, a moment's uh, empathy, even for people that you despise, you understand that they laid it all on the line and they were, and they were rejected. You know, Kitty Dukakis called Michael Dukakis's loss a public death. Um, and, you know, Trump's unwilling, you know, inability or unwillingness to grasp the nature of this thing that might have happened to him is understandable. And maybe he will have a, maybe he will somehow have some kind of a, you know, come to grace moment about it, though that seems unlikely. But Hillary Clinton certainly hasn't. Can't they just recreate a scene from The Apprentice, but someone tells him he's fired? Like that would move that. <laughs> well, there you go. I think that's the Saturday Night Live sketch mm-hmm. uh, intervention. Yeah, no, yeah, or that's the Saturday Night Live sketch on on Saturday. 
Um, are you I mean, guys I hearing think, the sirens behind me, by the way? Yeah, it, it's interesting, by the way, because I, I heard it first by me, and then I muted oh, yeah. it. So, me, so, so, I, so, I yeah, so Abe, Abe, lives, Abe lives about uh, three-quarters of a mile from, from the office, um, and so I, 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 have, I have to read an ad, and but I don't want to do it with the... I don't want to do it with the sirens going because that seems unfair to paying customers. Uh, go ahead, Abe. I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> no, I was going to say, I think, you know, my prediction is that Trump will at some point, and God knows when, um, say that um, he didn't lose and uh, he could fight on. He's got all, you know, but for the good of the country, because he because he's he's, you know, so magnanimous, he will he will concede. Without really conceding. I mean, you know, the funny part this is, was, yeah. I'm just sorry. Just this was the nature of this. Just to really dwell on the extraordinary nature of this election. It was a surgical strike by the voters. It was one of those, you know, uh, a drone strike. Fire off a drone that has, you know, blades that spin out and eliminate only a target with zero collateral damage. It could not be more of a targeted effort on the part of Americans to excise from the American from American political life one person, and that it's the efforts that are going to be made to not understand what that means because it is detrimental to a particular political program are going to be uh, very strenuous. But there are contrivance, but and contrivances you know don't last very long. But here's what's interesting about that too: what does it say about the electorate that? There wasn't the need to punish down ticket, down ballot Republicans for Trump. I think that's the, the we it was the electorate was saying just like they said in 2016. I'm sick of what you're usually serving up as a candidate. We're going to go with this crazy wild card. Four years later, they're they're back at the ta- poker table and they're like, I've made a horrible mistake. But they don't feel somehow, although I think Trump has in many ways been very bad for the Republican Party. The voters don't seem to feel he's totally infected the party. So that was that's right, inter- right. that's really right. most surprised me right. about this. now. Uh, Dave Wasserman, who was one of the election nerds uh, that we uh, pay attention to, uh, says, look, uh, Republicans, this is a a mixed message because uh, Trump, by pulling out, pulling low propensity voters uh, out to vote, they vote down ballot for Republicans. Republicans do well, even if he loses a state. This is an, this is both true and it represents an unfalsifiable projection because without Trump, the Democrats wouldn't be the Democrats they are now. And the way that they have approached politics over the last four years would be entirely different. And you wouldn't need 68, 70 million votes from Republicans, even to contest an election that you then lose by, you know, I don't know what it's going to be, five, six, seven, eight million votes or something like that nationally. And, you know, the way it's going, by the way, uh, Trump is going to lose. He got 25 states in 2016. He's going to get 20 now or 19, maybe. you wouldn't be in a position. You don't know that the Republican who won, who wasn't him, 
might not have generated the same kind of enthusiasm. George W. Bush got 22% more votes in 2004 than he got in 2020. Trump, it appears, is probably going to top out at like 11 or 12% more, something like that. So that argument is interesting, but it's kind of, it's got this unfalsifiable problem because the nature of the election required, brought out low propensity voters on the other side. And then you had to match the low propensity voters that who would come out on the right. But in the absence of Trump, it's not clear that Democrats could have pulled low propensity voters to the polls in these numbers. If that argument makes any sense, I know like we're we're getting into weird, it's only you know, and I'm bad at math myself. Uh, let me stop for a minute and talk to you about today's advertiser, caucusroom.com. Look, it's one thing to listen to podcasts about politics like ours, but it but there's also time it's time to do something about it. In an age where conservatives are silenced and censored, it's time to speak up and take action. Luckily, now there's caucusroom.com, an online community that works in tandem with Ricochet, uh my dear friend Rob Long's site run by our uh, our our friend producer Scott Immergut, exclusively for conservatives. Caucus Room is an online community for conservatives to gather, encourage, and engage locally. Only real people who are verified conservatives can become Caucus Room members, and Caucus Room will never share your information with anyone ever. The sign-up process ensures you're communicating with real conservatives in your area and interest groups, no bots or trolls. Caucus Room allows you to engage with your neighbors, and that way, you know, it's a little like nextdoor.com or something like that. Look, you have no idea how many conservatives are hiding in your neighborhood, so this is a great way to get engaged on issues where you can make the biggest difference locally. You might not feel emboldened to put a yard sign in your yard right now, but if you knew there were more conservatives in your area, maybe you could do it together. At Caucus Room, you can participate in live virtual meetings that are so secure the platform played host to over a dozen virtual Republican Party conventions this year. You can also share news jokes and find ways to get involved with causes near you, all without fear of Silicon Valley overlords stopping you. Caucus Room was made by conservatives for conservatives to get organized locally, take action, and make a difference. Join caucusroom.com. That's C-A-U-C-U-S-R-O-O-M.com today. Um, so now, now as we are talking... Uh, it looks like the Trump hopes in Arizona are fading. There was this idea that, you know, uh, Arizona was too close. Fox and AP made a mistake calling it too early. There's really a chance. But there has apparently been this vote drop in Maricopa County and Biden has extended his lead and Trump isn't getting enough uh, to, to to pull that out. So, uh, so that means another Biden flip, right? So Arizona is a Biden flip, and uh, uh, Georgia, it appears, is a Biden flip. And uh, like I said, I think I think with uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, so that's five states flipped. Can I raise a scenario, which yeah. is uh, Biden's declared? You know, Biden's the president. And then we still, the Senate, we talk as if the Senate was held by Republicans, but technically it's now, what, 48-48? We have this runoff election in Georgia that will happen in, is that December? Um, 
what if this election just plays out in miniature for the next month and a half in Georgia? Because I actually think if we go by what was happening in the Democratic caucus in, in Congress yesterday, where there were all these leaked phone calls where the progressives are very uh, emboldened and Pelosi claims Biden has a mandate. And yet the moderate Democrats who barely squeaked back into office are furious because they faced all these, you know, they had to combat the socialism challenge, et cetera, et cetera. What if, what if everybody doubles down and the argument on from the Democrats is we still want to pack the court. We still want a progressive agenda. And the only way to do that is to make sure that the Senate seats in Georgia go, go to the Democrats. And then we watch this in miniature. Is that is that likely? I mean, we we've been talking as if we assume the Republicans will win those seats, but is that at all certain? Well, nothing's certain, right? I mean, nothing's right. certain. But uh, the idea that you, if you can drive people to the polls to vote out Donald Trump, that doesn't mean that you can get them two months later to go to the polls. You know, on I think it's I, I said the other day it was January nineteenth. It's January fifth. You can get them to go to the polls on January fifth again to vote affirmatively for Democrats to help uh, pursue the Democratic agenda in Washington for Joe Biden. That's a that's a bank shot, <clears throat> and uh, Republicans therefore have way more at stake. In other words, the dragging yourself over 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 broken glass to get to the polls to vote will involve every Republican in Georgia. How you get Democrats to be in that mood, I, I don't really know. Well, look, there's going to be eight million uh, people who are willing to donate on the left, donate to these candidates and these causes. It's going to be a very expensive couple of Senate races. Um, but this is now going to be a referendum on whether or not Joe Biden needs a check in Congress. And this is a red state. It's not, you know, it's just barely, barely a Biden state when Donald Trump is on the ballot, but it's not a referendum on Donald Trump. It's going to be a referendum on Joe Biden in a red state. I don't think it's going to be particularly close, particularly, especially since that runoff race, we have this uh, jungle primary is called where everybody, both parties run um, to, to see who's going to be on the ballot, which was Kelly Loeffler, an appointed senator, and uh, Raphael Warnock, who's the Democratic nominee now. And he was polling in the high 40s. He was, he was in the polls. He was flirting with a major- an outright majority, which would have gotten him right into the Senate banner. You wouldn't have had a runoff race. But now that we're going to have a runoff race, he underperformed a lot. I think he's only in the 20s, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, he way underperformed his polls. Uh, so it suggests that these two races... Well, they're going to attract a ton of attention and a ton of money, and the universe is going to descend on uh, Georgia for the next uh, month and a half. I don't know if they're going to be especially competitive. That's My re- guess is not. That's good. Okay, I'm reassured. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> I mean, again, I just think about this in terms of what, what your message is. Your message is stop the Democrat. Your message is stop the, de- stop the Democrats or help Joe Biden. And there is no indication <clears throat> that Georgia Democrats uh, and, you know, how I don't know who the independents are in Georgia or the that's the suburban women of Georgia who ter- who destroyed Donald Trump here, assuming Donald Trump lost. Are going to be so are, are like suddenly now going to turn around and save Joe Biden with a, a vote off cycle. 
you know, I mean, things haven't changed that much. I mean, anything can happen, obviously, and you can run bad campaigns and people can dig stuff up and terrible gaffes can happen and stuff like that. Whatever dollar amount Democrats raise, Republicans will match. I mean, that's why the happiest person in Georgia today is a radio station owner in Georgia because his year he had he got a fantastic six months of advertising revenue and now he gets another two months where literally he will not you know he, he, his space will be at a premium of a sort that he's never seen before not to mention television stations and who knows what else so congratulations people this is a fantastic moment for you i mean you know, I, you know, which is the joke of all this, of course. You know, I was thinking that um, uh, this is the one of the Democrats raising all this money to knock off, you know, McConnell, all this illusory money, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, and then they all trumpet how their average donation is, you know, $57 or $22 or something like that. This is a mass transfer from poor people to rich people. You know, you give $50 to, you know, Amy McGrath. That money goes right into Amy McGrath's consultant's pockets. And Amy McGrath's consultant's pocket are deciding whether to buy a private plane or have a sectional share of a private plane. Because what they'll do is they'll build a house in Aruba and then they'll fly there on the private plane, but maybe they don't really need their own plane because how many weekends a year can you actually go to Aruba? And there is some NPR listening, you know, retired social worker and her husband, and they gave $50 because they don't like Mitch McConnell. And it's like that, Monty Python sketch Dennis Moore, who is Robin Hood, and then he keeps robbing from the rich to give to the poor, and then eventually the poor become the rich, and then he comes and he brings them things, and they're like, "We don't need this anymore. We don't, you know, bring us something better than this, you know." And then it's Dennis Moore. He robs from the poor and gives to the rich. Stupid blank. That's actually the story of American politics now, is the grift. You get these, it's sort of like, it's like, uh, it's like the joke about, uh, you know, uh, churches and the collection plate, you know. They are taking money from poor people, and they are just handing it to rich people. There is going to be, a, <clears throat> I, I am excited, tentatively, cautiously excited for the dynamic in the in the next four years ideologically because there was this weird phenomenon within the trump era in which you had a you had a pretty weak president who didn't have much of an agenda so you didn't talk about what the white house wanted to talk about day to day you know infrastructure week became this running joke because in a conventional presidential administration the administration has objectives for the week and they summon all their allies and everybody gets on the same page and you pursue a legislative agenda from a week two weeks three weeks and you move on to the next one and, and it's it's a it works like that didn't work like that in this 
in the Trump era. Republicans acted like an out party. We were having debates over first principles and reorganize, reorganizing coalitions and creating new coalitions. All this stuff that was happening with the president in office and a Republican Senate and Congress. It didn't really make a whole lot of sense. It was a bizarre phenomenon. And Democrats appear willing to do the exact same thing now because they've won this election and now they're at each other's throats. While they've won this election, over first principles, over reorganizing the map, over a coalition. So they're getting into this, in this phenomena, and we're both going to be on the same page with these internecine struggles. And there will be a very profoundly conflicting uh, dynamic within the conservative movement over populist nationalism that Donald Trump was, what we were told Donald Trump uh, was indicative of, even though he didn't really seem to be particularly interested in any of that. Um, and sort of a return to a, a more conventionally conservative idea, a more conventionally conservative governing philosophy, let's say. Trumpism really does represent a critique of a governing philosophy and less of an alternative to one. And that that battle has already begun, um, and it's going to be very exciting. It's a, it's a very complicated discussion, though, because there is the distinct possibility that populism is um, has not been rejected. But it's but Trump's personality has been rejected. Right, exactly. It's an easy case to make that that is actually what you're going to say. But but again, the the dynamic here is going to be over the course of many months, many weeks and months that we don't actually know whether or not. First of all, I think Republicans need each other. Their conservatives and populists need each other in order to form a winning coalition. So they're going to be at each other's throats over just primacy, but not within you know whether or not they all exist in the same tent. Um, but. Yeah, I think you can you can make a very conventional case that populism hasn't necessarily been rejected. Everybody is still a populist on both sides of the aisle. It's just a matter of tonality, right, and disposition, and how you approach political. But, but, and what also, I mean, what continues to make that so complicated is that populism carries a kind of tonality, right? I mean, it's 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 yeah. not it's not a staid sort of um, approach to politics. Right. Well, and here's the key. There are different kinds of populism. We always associate populism with economic policies because that's where it began, right? The populist movement in the United States uh, began as a, as a sort of, you know, revolt against uh, economic monetary policy and, you know, being hung on the cross of gold and farmers being screwed by bankers and all of that 130 years ago. And uh, po- but there is a different kind of populism at work here, uh, because the, what the elites threaten is not your economic well-being, and people still are grip, you know, gra- holding on to that. That you know, like it's about tariffs, it's about tariffs and about immigration, and that is the populist. That is what people see because their their jobs are being crowded out by low wage workers and all of this but i don't think that's where the fire in the belly of the populism of the right actually is and this is the mistake the populism of the right is about the elites imposing leftist cultural orthodoxy in a very brutal and systematic manner and if you want to know why there has been this Hispanic surge for for Trump or in the Republican Party and stuff like that. The idea that it's because what they really want is, you know, renegotiation of trade deals or what, that is not it. It is that they are feeling the boot of liberal totalitarianism on the backs of their necks. And, 
And so this is the fight. The interesting thing is that even the, the people who really feel this, like our dear friend Saurabh Amari, is trying to sort through what kind of populist he is. Because on the one hand, he's like, he wants to be a working man. He wants to be part of a working man's party. But the general proposition of working man's parties is higher minimum wage, tariffs, you know, uh, uh, more government intervention in the economy to help, you know, suffering people on the margins and all of that. But where his heart is, is with the culture war. And I don't think his heart, it's not just his heart. That is where, that is the meat of the struggle in the United States. Because nobody knows how to solve for the economic crisis, the crises, various crises that are are faced. We don't know. Things are happening we still don't understand. We have an amazing piece in the upcoming issue by Nick Eberstadt uh, about uh, America after COVID that sort of goes through the interlocking crises following up on his incredibly depressing piece, Our Miserable 21st Century, from, from, uh, from almost four years ago. And... The point is, like, we're, uh, we're, we're doing new things in monetary policy no one's ever done before. We don't even understand why they're even working. Why hasn't there been inflation? Why hasn't, you know, why can the Fed intervene in the economy to the extent it is without any consequences? When do the consequences come? Nobody understands what's going on economically. Rules that we all thought we were being governed by seem to have been thrown by the wayside, and the new rules have not been deciphered. But we know what they're doing to us culturally. And they know what they're doing. to The ones who like it know exactly what they're doing. And the ones in their camp, George Packer, sending his kid to a school in Brooklyn, you know, very, uh, very liberal, you know, hoity-toity, nose-in-the-air, ultra Brooklyn progressive sends his kid to school and rather than them teaching his kid, you know, they're in affinity groups and, and, and they're not teaching them anything and he does, he can't stand it and he doesn't like what they're doing to his kids, but he hasn't made the connection. You know, he, he won't, he won't connect the dots and that is the challenge of the moment. The standard bearers on the left of uh, the economic uh, message, the sort of democratic socialist economic message, are also some of the most vigorous about the culture war, too. I'm thinking of AOC, you know, the squad in general. They embrace both and and they they aren't able to tease out the threads. There is some there would be quite a powerful battle to be had if you had conservative cultural populists taking on the economic message of the democratic socialists where we could actually have that battle that would be that would be productive i think for the country but i'm i'm very very uh i'm not optimistic that the democratic socialist group on the left is going to drop so easily the cultural message even though they were rebuked in this election for it look there are real exogenous forces at work here <clears throat> that are, I think are going to exert some centrifugal force, some pressure on on re- the Republican Party to embrace the kind of conventional conservatism that has fallen so much out of favor with the the, the populist wing here. We spent $4 trillion this year we don't have. We are coming up, according to the actuaries, 
are coming up on a crisis in Medicare in 2026. It's probably sooner. It's probably within this this next, with Joe Biden's term, we will face a crisis of financial pressure on Medicare, Medicaid, and in Social Security in the 30s. It's probably sooner than that, too. I mean, all this stuff is coming due real fast. So Democratic answer to this is, is always increased spending, increased taxes. Is the Republican answer going to be increased taxes? Because there has to be a party in this country that's not for taxes. There's always going to be one coalition that says no new taxes. And it's usually the Republicans. And that's going to be the easiest path, the path of least resistance. Taxes are going to go up for the very I think reason. I have no choice. No, but for the, the, very the, re- for, the, for the very reason that you lay out. Now, it's going to be structured, in my view, in some way to look like it's something else, the way taxes were wildly increased in order to save Social Security in 1983 by burying them in a complex commission finding that created a sp- to, that that did stuff to the payroll tax system that allowed the jacking up of payroll taxes but you wouldn't claim they were taxes you see because they weren't income taxes so we were cutting income taxes not payroll taxes so we cannot afford we are we are we are headed for disaster but this is what i mean by you try sometimes you just might find you get what you need democrats want that money to pay for Elizabeth Warren's ludicrous agenda. And they're going to have to raise this money and use it to save us from falling off the cliff. And they're not going to be happy. And we're not going to be happy. The taxes are going up. But I don't know how, if you look at this situation, the government is going to have to collect more money in order to pay down that debt. This is back to me being on cloud nine in this glorious <laughs> universe that we're in now because they Republicans can go along with this really, you know, folded arms and, you know, very frustrated and unhappy with the circumstances that we've been in. But the blue ribbon commission recommended this, you know, we have no choice, but to pursue this, everybody's ox has to be gored here. Right. But then they get to run against it in 2022 and get no, no blame for for any of this. It is a miraculous set of events. Our listeners should just know that Noah has been grinning from ear to ear yeah. throughout that entire session. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Chris Hayes, uh, the M- MSNBC's Chris Hayes, who, you know, was a was a very left-wing journalist, print journalist before he went on TV, worked for In These Times and wrote for The Nation and stuff like that. One of the things that drives him the craziest is he says, you know, Republicans spend like sailors and then Democrats come in and then they have to deal with the economic consequences, it's not fair. Well, guess what, right. Chris? <laughs> it's happening again. That's your Lucy in the football moment. It's going to happen now. Biden's going to raise taxes, get blamed for it, and none of that money is going to go to, you know, I don't, what is it that she wanted to do? I can't even remember. The Elizabeth Warren, the everything. ridiculous she Elizabeth Warren. She had a plan yeah. for everything. And everything was paid for by the same two cents. It was yeah. like yeah. that two cents the was spent. The magical, yeah, that, pennies, yeah, yes. the magical pennies that, that, yeah. that recreated themselves. All right. So here we so are. The bottom line is yes. cheer up America. Cheer up America. Cheer up right. Cheer up people on the right. Accept, accept that a defeat can be a victory. You don't always get what you want. Uh, there is a new presidency coming. Uh, it's a new set of uh, the battle lines are drawn in a different way and in an interesting way we're going to have a fascinating four years 
and let's move on into the next four years and not litigate the last three days. We'll see you on Monday. For Abe, Noah, and Christine, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.